The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. Why did a person with my background uh, want to have a show, the Power of Water, to discuss that worldwide? It's because I've been studying water for 30 years. And I found that water, without it, the earth will not ex- uh, be here uh, for millions of years and it's bring the word eternity back into focus. The breath of life, your humidity, comes from the fresh water on the earth, the water on earth. So we have a responsibility of water. And what is health? What is a solvent? What is dehydration? What is hydration? Water. What's the most important part of your everyday life? And your responsibility, each one of us, all of us, water, to make sure the water is there for all life to come. We can talk about dollar bills being here for and saving money, which we're hearing in our politics within the United States right now, is all the money that it's costing us to do what we do, which is very important. We do need to reduce the deficit. There are things we need to think about our generations, but we do need to think about water that has to be here for eternity. So that's what the show is all about. And today we have James McCann, who's a director of uh, and professor of history and associate director for development of African studies uh, center in Boston. And uh, he's written a book, Maze and Grace, Africa's Encounter with a New World Crop Greenland, the Brownlands, the Blacklands, and more environmental history that we can learn about Africa. You know, Africa has been really concerned about their water for a long time. So we're going to, and more happening there. Let's, they are very much putting a lot of, of uh, focus on it. And people from all over the world are helping them and joining them. Before we talk to James, I need to send my prayers and thinking out to the Neil Armstrong family. Neil Armstrong was the astronaut that went to the moon in July of 1969. I can remember the day listening to, uh, real loud on the radio what he was doing. And he was the first uh, warrior to show the world and to show all of us that if we don't learn to go away from space, out into space, away from Earth, and look back at Earth, you're not going to learn enough about Earth. Have you ever noticed that when you walk away from something and you kind of look back at it, you see things differently? And Neil Armstrong gave his life and his whole whole focus into teaching us that there is more away from Earth to learn, to look at Earth from a distance at the universe. That is so fascinating, but they can study the water, climate change, soil, and all life. 
Because, and remember, we've had Dwayne Cecil on here, Dr. Dwayne Cecil, who's been with NASA and NOAA. He's been teaching us every time he comes on. There is so much to learn about being out away from Earth and looking back. So our thoughts and prayers are with Neil Armstrong, and he will be remembered for eternity. I want you also to mention today the population. The population grew last week in the United States by 47,376 people, but worldwide it grew 1,478,174. The world population is now up to 7,035,499,837 people requiring that Earth preserve and protect the water. It's the water, always primary. I talked to a fellow, uh, got an email from one of my congressmen here in, the, here in Oregon and introducing us to uh, a military target, net zero water at Camp Riley, uh, that they have been, Riley that they've been studying. And I got a hold of uh, Arnold, um, James Arnold, and he was teaching me that they're learning, they're the first military uh, camp, Camp Riley, to study for emergency purposes, but also recycling the water, which I have learned with Singapore and other countries of the world that are learning to recycle the water. And to me, that's a big money maker for some entrepreneurs and states to get into learning how to recycle water. But Jim said that they could take out of every five gallons, say four, can you imagine recycling water? So we're going to try to get Jim on the show. But can you imagine with our planet is growing, uh, India is up to 1.2 billion people, China is up to 1.3 billion, growing too. Our planet is growing, but you always have to have the water. And remember my goal with this show, and once my company gets to a spot and I get to relieve myself from sitting behind a desk every day, I'm bringing everybody together, the leaders of the world, and we're not going to have any longer except 5,000 children dying a day worldwide without water. It's unacceptable. We're not going to live that way. We're going to make sure there's fresh water and there's going to be study after study, education after education. This show is that vital and concerning the world water and its power. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know that the surface of your eyes is 99% water? You have a lipid layer of the tear film. You have an aqueous layer, which retains the water. And then you have the mucin layer connected to your cornea. Did you know that your eyes, when they become... You, your vision is impaired. It's because you became dehydrated in the eye. Well, Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only product like it in the world to supplement the eyes to give it that quenching it requires. You could be sitting at your computer, driving the car, driving a Harley. You could be anywhere in the world and supplement wearing your contact lenses, be in a compromise where your eyes cannot see very well because something's happened, and just with a mist. With, to supplement your eyes with Nature's Tears Eye Mist, tissue culture grade water. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with James McCann.
News Talking, the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. James, are you with us? Yes, I am. Do you uh, like us to call you James or Jim? Um, Jim is my usual. Okay. Um, Jim, thank you for joining us, and I've read about you, and you have absolutely, how long have you been studying um, with your background in Africa? Um, after I got my bachelor's degree, which actually was, was in African studies, in a uh, very, very uh, venerable program in that, in that field, since I got my degree in um, 1973. Mm-hmm. And why did you choose Africa? Well, it was a time when when uh, people were looking at sort of the world in a broader perspective. Um, I, I joined the Peace Corps, and they sent me. Um, Africa was the place I wanted to go, mm-hmm. and they sent me to Ethiopia, which is a place mm-hmm. I hadn't chosen initially, but became the focus Connected. of much of my my, uh, my certainly my academic life, if not my the rest of my life as well. Wow! So, do you spend a lot of time there now, or you go just go back and forth a lot? Um, I, I make numerous trips. In fact, I was due to leave Saturday, and the death of the prime minister means that they postponed my arrival there for a week. But I'm on mm-hmm. my way um, just two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Sometime, uh, if you could help my program director get somebody there to be on the show with us. We've been in Kenya, and uh, and, and I love to go in different parts of the world and have somebody who can speak English and come on the show and also educate us about where they're at and what they're doing. But, Jim, tell us about what you've been learning because, you know, my world has been researching this planet and the world of water, and I went even deeper. I went into the human and law life species and started studying the dehydration from the moment you're born on that delivery table to uh, the passing away because of dehydration has uh, taken the life so we live with hydration and we die with uh, dehydrated. Tell us about what you've been learning in Africa about what the rest of us need to learn more about. Well, one one of the the issues with respect to Africa as a whole and the particular places that I work is water. Of course, water is fundamental about human life, as you just pointed out. But Africa is the place that has the greatest variation between dry seasons and wet places of any place on the globe. Uh, and what that means is that the strategies for how people deal with water for their agriculture, water for their daily life, 
changes more dramatically than any place on Earth. So you have mm-hmm. wet seasons, dry seasons, they're clearly differentiated, as opposed to here in New England, where I live now, that we really have distribution of moisture all through the year. Mm-hmm. It may be snow, it may be rain, but in general, uh, temperate climates have distribution over the course of a calendar year, whereas Africa has has its crops, has its populations, has its movements, all determined by the movements of water. Now, what is the population population in Africa now? Are you able to say what that is? Um, It's it's certainly changing. It's going to be quickly going to be, because population growth rates in Africa are much higher than in Europe and North America. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not so much the population numbers as it is the distribution across landscapes where water is an issue, but also the rapid, rapidly uh, urbanizing nature of Africa's population. And that's the big issue, um, is what, do, what does the metabolism of, of African cities, uh, how does that respond to increasing population, increasing pressure of, of different kinds of economic and social um, factors? And that's the big deal. It's, the distri- it's not so much the absolute numbers, it's the distribution of where people live and how they make their living vis-a-vis urban settings. And, of course, always around where the water is at. You know, that's something, Jim, we've... uh, Can you stop uh, and understand for a moment, uh, think out loud, what happened? Our forefathers were very brilliant, but what happened to the uh, understanding that water has to be the primary focus before everything else, and everything else comes second, third, and uh, on? It's amazing how we left the water behind. Well, to some degree, that's um, uh, people accepting, taking, taking it for granted. Um, if we look at where people live, cities, virtually all cities, but not all of them, are fundamentally organized around access to water. Right. Um, if one tries to think of a city that's not located near a body of water, um, the only one I can think of is Johannesburg, South Africa, mm-hmm. which sits atop a huge reef of gold, and that's mm-hmm. the reasons for its existence, etc. Every other world, world uh, urban area I can think of has that connection to water. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it, uh, you know, in fact, I was noticing when I was studying, Jim, that the medical field is uh, well over 100 years old. To, to, it, the invention of words is an invention, too. And uh, the word medical uh, application to something uh, to think about is they left the water behind, too. And uh, that's been a focus of mine. And then when you think about the planet Earth, and I've had Dr. Dwayne Cecil on here, who was with NASA for years, and Noah now, but... Uh, he was, we were talking about what happened here, that when these, the astronauts and NASA go off to space, they're studying what is going on the Earth also with the water, or the Earth won't uh, last. So you go into these different countries, uh, like Africa, and they're getting a lot of attention now, thanks to people like yourself, to primary focus on water issues, crop, nutrition, and cultures of life to make sure that life uh, improves and, and is healthy. And it can, when you're in Africa, Jim, have you noticed a lot of people coming from all over the world to come to Africa to help the, uh, the obstacles they've had to solve them? Well, for, for a continent like Africa, which is, of course is composed of many different 
groups divided by language, divided by, by political boundaries, um, divided by sense of sense of, of nation. So it's a very diverse place. But one could look at a place like that and again say that the big difference between wet season and dry season makes Africa distinctive. But the other issue is that Africa is like the rest of the world. Health is a function of water, of the quality of water, of, again, its distribution, of dehydration, rehydration. Um, and we keep coming back to this issue, but never quite address it directly. There are some people who do come to do research, to do uh, programs that help people get access to water. But um, it's also very often one of the great failures is the, the failure to understand the link between access to good, clean water uh, in, with some amount um, available to, um, to pregnant women, to women as new mothers, and a whole range of things that we can go on and on. Water is fundamental to a traveler. When I'm, when I'm traveling, the biggest difference between when I arrived in Ethiopia the first time, there was no water available except um, water in the countryside that was very difficult. Um, that I couldn't drink. You had iodine tablets. You'd otherwise have to buy something in a bottle um, that was not available, um, not available easily. Now there is water available everywhere in bottled form, but yet that's a const serious constraint on other resources. It costs money to put money, water in bottles as opposed to having it available publicly. Right. And, you know, I've had people uh, say, oh, those people who are bottling that water and the plastic and all this. And I said, well, I look at it differently. I am so grateful those companies like Nestle and other companies have had the bottled water business, Jim, because that bottled water gets all over the world and they sell it for practically nothing some places uh, to make sure there's bottled water for people to have access to. Um, back to the mothers and, and the pregnant mothers and then having children, you probably heard me talk about one of my goals, Jim, is uh, to reach a success point to where I don't have to sit behind a desk every day and I'm going to go out and I want to meet with leaders all over the world and shame them that any child would ever die without water. Uh, this has gotten, there's up to 5,000 children a day dying because of water. Now, you're in the focus of uh, studying uh, in Ethiopia, the ecology and of malaria. Um, tell me about what you've been learning. We know about it. It's been a big focus with our contributions from America uh, with, uh, because of malaria. But what have you been learning about? Is it improving? Is it getting worse? What is happening? Because that's water again um, being affected. Bad water attracts uh, mosquitoes and um, the bad things, uh, bacteria. What have you been learning? Well, water is, uh, malaria is a vector-borne disease, and the vector is mosquitoes. Mosquitoes require water for breeding purposes, but different kinds of water. Um, the, the mosquitoes that I, that I study, that my group works with, uh, is like very small bits of like a hoof print, the water that's, in, that's there, and it requires nutrition to make that water, watery um, habitat turn into a place that can nurture the young larvae that turn into adults, and the females are the ones that transmit malaria. Uh, so wa water, its distribution has to do with malaria, of course, but also many other diseases, schistosomiasis, bilharzia, its other name, um, is 
perhaps expanding in its in the area as they do more and more irrigation for the purposes of of agriculture it increases the possibility of that um, uh, that disease it really is a link to link between water and habitat and the more work that my group is doing uh, my colleagues and I working in Ethiopia is really about Malaria as ecology, not just about spraying, not just about bed nets. Those things are ultimately ineffective if you don't really find a way of managing um, the fact that this disease relies upon the presence of water or the absence of it sometimes uh, promotes the disease. Right. Uh, and it is now, when you say the word, uh, once in a while I'll interrupt so that sure. I can get, I'm an educating person. Uh, for the world out there, we hear the word ecology, but why did you connect ecology uh, uh, with the malaria so they will understand? Well, it's, it's primarily because we can look at the direct factors. Uh, mosquitoes cause malaria, but, but the context of it is temperature. It's, it's the availability of, of water, of moisture, of human blood, of sometimes the blood from animals to to sit, to preserve the life of the the female so that she can then pass on the the malaria from one human to another and water is 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 fundamental to ecology and malaria is a disease of ecology more than it is a disease just of getting rid of mosquitoes or that's even what getting I was rid of after. parasite that's yeah. what I was after that I hope that you could explain that I know I couldn't that is a fact yeah that uh, people need to understand that. Now, uh, what is happening? Is there some improvements going on? But it sounds like you're he- I'm hearing there's some added new research results that are finding there's other things other than the mosquito. Well, one, one hears about um, the, uh, the possibility of, uh, of immunity uh, vaccination. In other words, that there is a vaccine. And that is, a fall, to me, a false hope. The best possible results we have, less than half of people are protected, and that does not stop malaria. Bed nets help, et cetera. So if we think of it as ecology and something that is with us, how do we deal with it, then water becomes part of the understanding, particularly as habitat, but also where people live. People choose to live near water, and water is the means by which mosquitoes propagate their next generation, increase their numbers, so if malaria num- numbers look like they're down a little bit now, my experience suggests that's a temporary situation. Mm-hmm. We should be grateful for, for its, its um, management, but understand we can't expect it to be um, anything less than a long-term problem that we have to deal with. Exactly. And that's probably where a lot of these children that we're hearing are dying a day. Um, uh, yes. Uh, now... Um, what have you learned now? Okay, before I move on to this other thought I had, uh, when the, 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 you mentioned the word temperature, that means the temperature of the water is also helping breed the mosquitoes because they're not going to uh, breed in cold water. Well, um, the, the key issue for, for temperature is about the trans, transmission within the body, uh, the development of the parasite within the body of the mosquito changes the possibility from one type of malaria to another, mm-hmm. one being something that makes you sick and disabled, and the other one kills you. Mm-hmm. And within Africa, the dominant type of malaria is one that will kill you. Um, mm-hmm. And the temperature between 16 degrees centigrade and 19 degrees centigrade means that you're going to change to the more dangerous type. 
and then humidity. If there's a lot of humidity in the air, that probably also is um, encourages the breeding of mosquitoes. Um, well, not not so much humidity directly, but in the in the humid zones, we have certain malarias of one particular type. Mm-hmm. In the areas we call uh, arid or semi-arid, there still can be malaria, but it comes and goes with the movement of water and of moisture. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if, if, for example, you have a, um, un- what we call an unstable um, instance of malaria, then mm-hmm. people do not develop any internal Im- any, um, immunity. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, they're more vulnerable uh, to death from malaria. Mm-hmm. And then we have on the east coast of the United States, where, and even around the United States, where a mosquito uh, can uh, ca- cause death. Here and in even the, in, in our animals, uh, yeah. d- dogs have been known to have uh, the mosquito cause them illness and to death eventually. And I've had friends, uh, I had a friend, Jim, Jim that she was on the board for Harper's Bazaar for many years, and she retired, and she had her lovely home in Wilton, Connecticut, and she'd already gotten the mosquito, uh, bitten by a mosquito that caused her illness, and then got rid of that, and years later got, got it again, and, it, and then slowly but surely she got uh, in time uh, because of the twice, and she lives in Connecticut. Is this perhaps Lyme's disease? It was, it's Lyme disease, right. Which is not mosquito-borne. That's oh, it's not ticks. mosquito-borne. But triplet, right now, the big issue, well, the big issue in Texas... Oh, it's a tick. Is, is, right. But in Texas, it's West, West Nile virus. There we go. West Nile yeah. virus is carried by mosquitoes, by a particular kind of mosquito. And then, of course, Lyme is a tick, isn't it? Right, right. She had and, that twice, and, I, and animals in the East Coast are getting that, and... And uh, and I've always wondered about the humidity being so warm, uh, and 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 breeding <coughs> the tick. But also now we're getting warnings on the West Coast this last summer uh, about the mosquitoes that there's uh, different mosquitoes out, right. not just there's, the ticks. Right, there's equine equine um, encephalitis. Yeah, um, and that's mosquito borne. Right. One kind of mosquito. We have the recurrence of um, of other kinds of diseases. Uh, Triple E is, is one. Another one um, is West Nile. Um, another one is dengue. Three different types of mosquitoes, three different kinds of parasites, but all of them really fundamentally come back to what was the habitat available to mosquitoes, mm-hmm. and that's about water. Okay, let's go over, water. let's go over to uh, the uh, agriculture side of you. Uh, that's been a fascination to me, Jim, because I've had here in the United States, I've been in other countries discussing agriculture. I've had uh, organic farmers telling me, teaching us about what they've been doing. And back in North Dakota where they've only had four inches of rain, but they still had the most beautiful crops by learning how to till the soil and and work other like straw into the soil and and um, cow droppings manure into the soil and creating the temperature change and keep that motion going in the life of the soil to draw moisture from the air. What are they learning uh, with agri- for the agriculture in uh, the a country that's always pursuing the, the water in it because of Africa? What they're trying to do? What's happening with their agriculture planning? Well, that's a it's a big, complex problem. Um, in particular, 
the, what's about to be the world's number one grain crop, which is corn, maize, mm-hmm. rather than wheat, rather than rice even, mm-hmm. is that uh, it's possible to breed varieties, new varieties of, of corn, um, or maize as we call it most of the rest of the world, um, is one that resists drought. So this is a push of the of the seed the seed companies, um, mm-hmm. whether this be the Calb or um, Monsanto, etc., is to de- de- uh, develop varieties of seeds that resist drought. And we see the effect now because uh, maize affects all kinds of products we don't associate. Yes, it is ethanol, but it's also a whole range of other things. The price of maize goes up, and we see the world economy transformed. Mm-hmm. And there are other kinds of crops that are less resi- less susceptible to drought, but they produce less in the way of the actual bulk of the of the food supply or the kind of. What are we going to do when the whole world gets into nothing but corn because of the fuel? Uh, I, what is your thinking? You know, uh, I hope you can be open for us here today. What is your thinking about all this corn being raised when they should be raising other agriculture for nutrition? Uh, close to home uh, for people to eat the right, have the right diet. Well, those are a whole series of complex issues about what provides the most effective transformation of sunlight, uh, moisture, and soil fertility into human food. Mm-hmm. Maize is an amazing crop in many ways. Um, and sometimes, though, you say, why maize? Aren't there more effective crops for that? But the the market... The uh, human population, how best do you feed uh, people? Wheat has great limitations in terms of where it can grow, how much it can grow, and there are potential problems there for diseases that affect wheat. You know, we don't hear much about that, but it's, it's lurking out there, and people who know are quite uh, worried about that. Well, tell us um, more about that. Well, let's go back to that in a minute. I'm sorry to train, train, train of thought, but let's think. Um, uh, tell it, we'll go back to that in a minute so people would be educated. But So you're uh, coming along, and you're thinking that, the, that maize, a, a corn crop, is, is suitable for a world nutrition? The maize has has the quality of producing a very high yield, among the highest yields of any grain crop. Okay. Um, and it has a number of uses in industry for human food as fuel. Uh, the stalks, many farmers that I work with use the stalks for construction, for feeding their livestock, mm-hmm. um, and for tilling back into the soil um, as it decomposes mm-hmm. as silage. Okay. Uh, so it has a number of Values that farmers themselves the recycled value. Um, you can put it that way. It's, yeah. a, it's the entire. <laughs> well, I, just all of a sudden, I could think about when you told me about the, all that they were doing with a stock of it's the corn. Entire, it's the entire crop. But right. farmers will also tell you, you've given me a new seed. That new seed is fine. It gives me lots of of um, kernels, a lot of yield of of the maize grain itself. Mm-hmm. But my wife doesn't like to cook with it because it can also be a household fuel. Or it doesn't give us enough of, of height and bulk of the plant itself. I prefer the other one. So farmers themselves discriminate against characteristics they don't like. And they're very rational players. But they do also get locked into, as our farmers in Iowa and southern Minnesota, Nebraska, do locked into one crop of maize. Mm-hmm. And then if we tend to assume the climate's going to be helpful, uh, we overinvest in high yield versus 
maize that was corn plants that are resistant to drought, and now we're somewhat paying the price for that. Hmm. So when you say it's resistant to drought, uh, for some reason I thought corn would take less water. What matters with corn is not the total amount of of the water. It's when the rainfall, when the water comes. If it comes at a time when the plant is tasseling, sending up the the um, the, stalk, the, the stalks are, are sending up the, the tassels, mm-hmm. then that's reduced. And if you don't have the pollen's not produced and distributed, then we don't have the, the kernels on the ear. Mm-hmm. Or those are reduced. So it's very sensitive at, one, at some times, uh, and that's the difficult thing, to, to predict that and to wor- work with it in terms of what varieties you're planting for which place. It's going to be a time I've been studying nutrition for a oh, well over 35 years, and it's going to be a time when there will be so much corn that they'll get very creative on how to use it even well, like more. Instead uh, of like using corn. sugar in our Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola, yeah, yeah, well, we're using <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I don't want to get into the sugar subject because I, I couldn't believe, Jim, what happened with sugar. Uh, Everything was sugar. And, you know, we as a human species just decided on our tongue, we love that sweet stuff. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to blame the companies. I'm blaming the individual who says, I'm going to have sugar. And uh, I believe in having, a, you know, it's kind of like the computer, Jim. Do you ever use the computer altogether and don't use a pencil anymore? <laughs> you well, know, I do have I'm, pencils I'm, and I write I'm, things, I'm but yes, 70 years old, and I use a pencil, too, with a sharpener next to my desk running a company, uh, uh, and I believe in computers and paper and pencils. <laughs> so in nutrition, I believe in, yes, you could have a little sugar that day, but don't have it all day. <laughs> Well, we humans have very, very old habits of consumption. We like fat because fat was rare. Fat was important to the diet. When we have an overabundance of fat, we see what happens. Travel to the American Midwest or to the Southern Belt, and you see the overweight people. All over the world. It's, it's a national. Uh, you know, they've been saying well, America, but particularly I, I, see in those those, I see those pictures and those newsreels. <laughs> We're not the only one. <laughs> get off on an airport in any of those those places in the, the southern U.S. and in the Midwest, and you see overweight people. Oh, yeah, but you can um, go over to India. You can right. go all of these countries and, and different Mexico and different countries where people... Uh, their their culture starts gaining weight at a certain time. We're going to listen to our sponsor real quick, but we're going to come back. And I want you to teach us about some of the things you've learned about the agriculture that uh, you were mentioning there. I said we'd go back there on the grains. Uh, I'm really fascinated with that because I do realize we I live on Lower River Road in southern Oregon, Grand Pass, Oregon. There are cornfields everywhere. <laughs> there used to be fruit fields. But, uh, Jim, you don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back and discuss with your knowledge about agriculture. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, a supplement for your eyes. Did you know that your eyes are 99% water at the surface? When that eyelid opens, there's a dehydration. Now there's a supplement, like brushing your teeth and drinking a glass of water and eating the right food. Now there's a supplement for the eyes, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. We'll be right back with James. The World Talk. 
Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Jim, uh, you were talking about uh, the difference between corn and the grain. Do you remember that one? And I said, just go back to that one. It's, it's, it's sometimes we refer to, uh, it's possible to view maize, sorry, corn, as a grain and possibly view it as a vegetable. It's particular characteristics of, of vitamins, um, for example, um, that, or the way farmers treat it. You can treat it like um, a, a, a vegetable. You eat it, eat it in its, raw, in its um, milky stage, or you can treat it like a grain, you wait for it to dry, you take it off a husk, you grind it like you would grind wheat, etc. It can be used in a variety of ways, and historically it has been used in that way. Africa first received it as a vegetable, Mm -hmm. and then began to develop it as a grain. It's the same thing, but you have different, it depends on the use. Huh. Yeah, Uh, and you know, I have studied uh, corn, it's full of energy. Uh, and well, if people like a taste of something sweet, uh, there's nothing more delicious than eating even raw corn. Uh, if it's a sweet corn, yes, you don't actually even have to to um, cook it, steam it, or cook steam it, steam it, or anything. No, just eat it. People, Although, I think people don't realize, and it's unbelievable. You know, we are learning around the world, um, and I brought a lot of people on the show on nutrition too, Jim, and uh, scientists and doctors and physicians and individuals, and we're talking about a salad. And build your whole meal around the type of salad you want to serve. And adding corn to the salad is, is, is absolutely uh, also an added nutrition. Yeah. Well, keeping in mind that's, that that's sweet corn. Sweet that's corn sweet is corn. one of five types of corn. It's a very good one. <laughs> very good one. But, for example, most of the, the grain in Africa, or most of the grain in the U.S., is, uh, is a variety called dent corn. Called dent because it looks kind of like a tooth. That is to be dried and served for and provided for livestock. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So there's high, five. Very, there's five varieties of corn. Are you able yes. to tell us what they are? Um, well, there is uh, flint, which is the predominant one used for the grain grown, grown throughout the world, where it's used for livestock food, to some degree ground and for human uh, mm-hmm. consumption. Then there's flint maize, which has a different kind of a... It's the kind you find in colder countries. The stuff in New England, we had the the the, the grain that was produced for and by the, the, the pilgrims in Plymouth, Massachusetts, was flint maize. 
has different kind of lasts longer. Is that what made cornmeal out of that one? That's what you make polenta from. Okay. Uh, oh, polenta. Okay. Proper Italian polenta is oh. made from flint maize, not death oh. maize. Okay. Uh, so those two, th- then we have flower, flowery maize. We don't see that so often anymore. That came from Brazil and you find it in some parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. And then we have, uh, this thing we call popcorn, uh-huh. which is a different thing altogether. If you look at the grain, it's shaped in a different fashion. And what makes popcorn is it has a bit of, of moisture retained inside. And when you boil, or, or rather put in, in, in fat, in, in oil, and when that, that moisture comes to a certain level and turns into steam, it then explodes, mm-hmm. giving you popcorn. And they're finding that popcorn, if you don't put all the butter on it and the salt, uh, and you can even take and put Tabasco sauce on it, but they were saying that it's very healthy, it gives you the protein, and it does uh, satisfy your wanting to have a snack. Yeah. Although it's important to point out that, that maize, unless it is bred for specific new kind of new type variety, is de- deficient in two of the key amino acids, mm-hmm. lysine and tryptophan, which if you don't get those coupled with another kind of a protein source, mm-hmm. causes a disease called pellagra, which was mm-hmm. a major problem in the southern U.S. and in northern Italy. Ah. Um, so that's the catch. That, yeah. But the way you add those elements of, of the amino acids that are missing from maize is you consume maize with, bean, maize with beans. And that's the South, Southern American Caribbean diet. You're c- touching onto something today that I hope in other countries of the world, like countries that are having problems with their food, learn how to not just serve the rice. or the, you know, There's ways to serve the food if you're dehydrated. Did you follow me? And you know, today we're, we're more dehydrated than ever in history because the air is not, it's, the, the humidity of the air, Jim, is not as clean and healthy as it once was even. Um, and so my concerns have been dehydration of the baby when it was born in that delivery room. Can we follow it? Because there's no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. We're all dehydrating differently. So with the food, you just mentioned something about certain foods to serve with certain foods. I think it's time we started studying more of that. Uh, well, even in uh, all of those that can go to the market and buy anything they wish, what are you going to serve with your food you're going to cook and, and the raw foods? And the countries, if they're malnourished, don't just hand them whatever. Make sure the water is number one, and then number two comes the nutrition to support their hydration so they can be, be healthy because... Diseases are out of control, and it isn't it seems strange, Jim, as far as we've come with all that we've learned, disease is still out of control. Well, disease, disease the connection between waterborne diseases and community health is terrific, and as you put that into the context of urbanization, um, it's, we know, for example, some people who are doing some research this summer in the research institute I direct here were pointing out to me that, that in no city in China can you drink tap water. Oh, yeah, you brought up a country that uh, I just absolutely, it, makes, it brings tears to my eyes. It is a luxury to be able to go to your tap and drink the water. We yeah. think of that as an everyday. No, no, that's yeah. quite a quite a luxury. And you can and talk about Africa, but in China, then they're working so hard, Jim, to have such a successful uh, economy and country, and and now they're becoming a, what's called a world example. 
but they, they to get the pollution has uh, polluted their teeth, polluted their clothes, polluted their clothing. Uh, I mean, their clothes and then their hair. Everything about their lives is all because of that pollution in the air. That I don't know what year, which century they'll be able to begin to diminish it at all. And you're right. Uh, we've been studying that. Right. It's a t- it's a tough challenge. And one of our scholars here this summer was from from China, and looking at the geographic indicators of, of urbanization of Shanghai, for example, right. and the the maldistribution of water uh, across the whole Chinese uh, China landscape is remarkable. That the the Three Gorge project, huge project, that's designed to marshal the water. From further from uh, from areas of, of sort of greater avail- availability to places that now had that have a deficit, and that includes the cities. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers of cities in China that we don't hear on the daily news, but which have populations greater than five million, is astonishing. And that's all about health related to water. It, well, it's it's just startling uh, when people don't really realize what they're what they're having to live with. We've had people. I was talking to one of the executives from Nike, and every time they go over it, he goes for this job, and he comes back just panting. Uh, different doctors that go over with ophthalmology research cannot believe what is happening with vision. Yeah. And uh, your eyes, it's something to always remember, too, for yourself, Jim, and your near studies is when you're looking at a person in a country uh, like Africa or wherever, China, you can look in their eyes as they're talking to you, and you can see what is happening to their health. Because your eyes are your reading board. It's the thermometer because when that eyelid is open, it's not covered by the skin at that moment. And when you're in the womb, the eyes are connected to the brain at the very same moment. They're connected together. And the brain is 80 to 90% water, and your eyes at the surface are 99% water, and the eyes are like a magnet to the humidity of the earth. It wants to pull moisture toward the eyes. Well, you can imagine the eyes do not want pollution. They will, uh, uh, they do not want to attract that pollution. And, uh, so they're, they're having a lot of challenges. Uh, now, let's go back to Africa real quick. Uh, here on what you've been learning. Uh, what is the education program? Because I'm a believer in everything I do, and I bet you are too. You can go out. I'm not a salesman. A lot of people think because of my world and I'm in, oh, you really know how to sell that. I'm the opposite, Jim. I'm a study nerd. I want to educate you. I'm never going to sell you. What are you learning about education in Africa? Is it are they been able to get the leadership of Africa behind education to their the people who live out in, in their country to get them educated so they can become more proactively self responsible? Well, education is always important, and you know parents consider that something that they're worth investing in. You know, on the one side in this country, we find people willing to to go into a considerable debt to pay for higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a remarkable part of our system that has made it for such a long time to work. You know, government gets, in, gets involved. We have, we have the post-war expansion of American higher education, like nothing else in the world, requires government, also people's willingness to pay for it. Elsewhere in the world, people have that high value, and they realize, and of course, the effect of educating women um, is huge in terms of beginning to have changing behavior and perceptions. We've had that on our show with companies 
and organizations that go in with the education of women. Go on about that one for me. Oh, that it is fundamental, and at the same time, what we what we find is the uh, increase in higher education pushed by the Millennium Goals coming out of the the, so the UN movement of, of a couple of years ago. Problem therein is they're measuring seats, not measuring the actual the actual. Uh, uh, education of of people, mm-hmm. so we have uh, universities that are not quite universities uh, in the real sense, but they count for the measure. What, what are we measuring? So mm-hmm. that's quite a bit uh, distance between that and the issues we're talking about. But mm-hmm. at the same time, education about the importance of of health and issues like that, particularly for women, that's the greatest up the greatest single return to investment that we can find in education globally. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hillary Clinton said that some time ago, and I thought about it. I said, "My goodness, this is absolutely accurate." And you still do people do push that forward, but education about things like disease or about the importance of water, mm-hmm. awareness of water, um, its preservation. Hygiene and water go together too. Yeah, you know, I've had the United Nations head on at worldwide on that issue, and. There were two of them on at once, and I was one from England and one from here, and I was saying, you know, you cannot, when you say the problem with water, uh, it means there's also, they cannot, there's no, and I, I am always blunt, because if it, uh, I have to be, there's no toilet and there's no place to wash your hands. Well, the, yeah, this is... And then that, that goes together with a disease and bacteria. Yeah. Well, another way of thinking about an issue like that is, Cities, cities are, are are increasingly the dominant form of settlement for human society, even in places that used to be less urbanized. Africa mm-hmm. being one of them. Mm-hmm. But if we think about cities as having a metabolism, that they take in resources, especially water, including and especially water, and then they process it and expel it. Mm-hmm. What do we do about um, talk about recycling um, mm-hmm. of of water? When cities process water, and then what happens with that water when it goes out? Is it dumped into the ocean? Is it sent onto you know, flatlands? Is it sent into something that processes it into more usable forms? Urban metabolism is fundamentally about water. And I like from the word you, you use, the, metabolism. Uh, that's something I'm going to start using more. On it's, that. it's a bottle. It's an invocation of a bottle, a bodily metaphor, but I think a really good one. It is a good one. It, it works for me. Um, so when you uh, when we're understanding the metabolism of life on Earth and what is happening there with the water and the re, that the to recycle, you know it. it you know, Jim. It, I hope you guys study re, more about recycling to the water because there's there's something there. I believe that like Singapore has been doing it, and others have done it. I had talked to. Uh, I had a congressman here. And the country uh, introduced me to Jim, James uh, Arnold, who is with Fort Riley here in Oregon National Guard, and they've been studying um, anything to do with for emergencies. And they learned how to take five gallons of water and turn it in and save four gallons. Well, that's, the first... that's the processes we're talking about. And wealthy countries can do that. Here in Massachusetts, the water is terrific. Um, we, we used to complain, if you remember back in the, the campaign of... Uh, 1998, that, that Boston Harbor was made to be a, a poster child of of pollution of, of uh, seashore. Um, 
and indeed the water passing in front of my window now from the Charles River going down has been transformed. It's possible to do that, but it's very isn't hard. Exci- to- isn't that exciting? <laughs> if you I get excited about crafting. I mean, I'm one of those. I, I'm even one of those who goes to, if you ask me, Jim, what do you do on your spare time? I love to go to produce departments. <laughs> but back to, oh, that is exciting to hear because uh, I've been to Boston quite a bit. And uh, so they have been recycling there. I have, for some reason, I haven't gotten anybody on my show think uh, has told us that. Well, not processing. Well, yeah, it's also expensive to do. So, well, you know what's it, why that's a political process. They haven't that's figured out how to make it less expensive. <laughs> that's another invention. <laughs> well, that's that. That is to some that is to some degree an important degree. Politics, community. Oh. what do people insist upon? <laughs> Aren't you tired of the politics today? <laughs> Uh, I'm teasing. <laughs> I want my audience all over the world to know, Jim. <laughs> I think it's time, Jim. Let's get to some common sense. <laughs> and uh, but back to um, but we you came on the show to discuss one of your favorite topics is Africa, and I've only got about three minutes left, and I'm going to let you take it on uh, what you've been learning and what you want to accomplish there. Well, that's that's a, a, a big a big task, but I think. Africa increasingly is part of a larger global system. It has natural resources that are extracted, processed, and generate wealth. Right. So yeah. how, does, the, how does, does that generation of, of wealth begin to change? But I think if we identify something looking into, into the longer-range future that is there now and will be, it's going to be the struggle over water. Mm-hmm. Water as potential power, through hydroelectric dams. We have many, many projects, very large scale. But I think we learned that those have real problems as well. Water for health, water for distribution, for agriculture, for nutrition, it's all, it's all connected. And if you want to see one central fulcrum of economic development and human well-being, human development, it really is around do we have sufficient water distributed fairly? Um, or do we have water which is claimed and and made less available to the population or to certain parts of the continent? And Africa has the issue of water as being something that is not a um, a, a fundamental right. It is seen as something that is to be controlled by political processes or controlled by cities versus countryside, some cities versus other cities. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing lens um, to understand larger problems in I Africa you, in particular. You said another one, the lens. I like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm a believer, Jim. I hope I'm not stepping on your toes of studying where um, dams can make an improvement. Uh, I believe that Earth is meant for us to have aquifers, and we have man decided that with, if we don't get enough rain, we need to preserve water and dams above those aquifers and um, create a, uh, it also creates a, an atmosphere of humidity to help vegetation when there's a moisture coming from that area. But when there's not water, you've got a backup. It's not down all in, it's not all in the aquifer or over in the ocean. So I'm kind of a, I'm slanting, I've always slanted toward believer of dams of well planned out dams, not uh, dams that are not scientifically uh, um, built for what's best for all 
around it. Well, yes, the issue the issues with dams is they require a full understanding of the ecological context. Exactly. Dams is simply built for their engineering purely on those lines for either del- delivering hydroelectric or for de- delivering water for, for crops. They have to be designed with a holistic perspective. Yes, thank you. And they, you. Have not, they have not been. They should uh, be. The, the, the dams in the Great the, and You can the also deal. imagine what we could do with learning. We're out of time, but we're, we're learning how to recycle that. That's important. That's, that's, water, that's water management, and that's resource management. Exactly. Well, I want to thank you. I enjoyed every minute of this for myself. I hope you enjoyed it, and I know the audience did, and I hope I can, uh, we can have you on again because you're a wealth of information. Well, thank you very much, and good well, luck. Well, thank you, and I wish you best with your book, and tell everyone I said hello, and good luck okay. with your, all your research. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You have a nice day. Well, I learned a lot, and I, this shows when I can learn a lot, and I'm sure that it's so important to you. When you listen to the show, The Power of Water, you want to learn and you want to hear more about water. But whenever I have guests on about the different diseases and different uh, weaknesses of our body and around us, whatever the subject may be, whether it be the business or the nutrition or sitting at a computer, it always comes back to water, the dehydration of your body, the hydration of your body, and this planet Earth. And stop to think about whenever we talk about the power of water and you must drink 8 to 10 glasses of water a day without anything in it and start it out in the morning when you get out of bed all the way to when you go to bed. Even if you have to go to the bathroom a little more frequently, who cares? That's called distribution. So, again, and eat the right food. But I want to thank you for listening. Uh, Embrace your life every single moment. Embrace somebody else's. But Earth does whisper. There's a secret. Don't ever say goodbye. Have you ever noticed I never say goodbye on my show? Never say goodbye. Leave something behind for somebody else that's important from you. That's your gift. Have a nice day, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 